Manual. So, let me go up here. Ruth 1 and 2 have been actually really awesome. I want you guys to understand that um, this here, Ruth 3, is about Ruth makes an appeal. So if we looked at Ruth 1 and you go back to the notes, and they have been recorded, I believe they've all been sent out. But it starts with Ruth's journey, which taps into Naomi and everybody else. As you move into Ruth 2, it talks about Ruth's work as a gleaner, which I love that conversation yesterday. Let's see what Ruth 3 has, because there's only four of them, because I'm going to finish the fourth one tomorrow. Ruth 3 is Ruth makes an appeal. She makes an appeal, which is off the chain. Now watch this. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elmelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. Okay, I need you guys to mute your phones. Maybe I gotta do that to make sure everybody's on there so we can have that boom, boom. Okay, we on point. And verse two, and the name of the man was Elmelech, El, El, Elmelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi. So they were married, obviously. And the name of his two sons, Milan and Chilion, Euphrates of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elmelech and Naomi, Naomi's husband died. So we know that from the previous two chapters. And she was left with her two sons. And they took them wives of the women. So that's the way it said. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. And they dwelt there about 10 years. It's funny how they regurgitate the story in two different ways, three different ways from chapter to chapter. Because they're like, it's almost like you're watching. Maybe that's where they got from, right? You know when you see movies and you see, let's just use power, for example, and you see one, one whole, whole, whole uh I guess, episode, and then when you go to the next week, they go back and review the episode of the week before, before they actually get into the actual movie. Y'all with me on that conversation? Maybe this is where they got it, because I see this throughout the entire Bible, where they give you the whole enchilada in one, you know, one book, and then the next chapter, they're regurgitating the whole chapter. This is, this is all one and two rolled into one in less than the first seven verses. <laughs> so like, we just went through all this, but it's quite interesting because sometimes you have to read things and see things three and four times before you actually understand, comprehend, and get the message God is trying to get to you. So anyway, I'm gonna go back into that. And they took the wives of, uh, and women of Moab, and the name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. And they dwelt there for about 10 years, which we're clear on, and Malon and Chilean died also, both of them died. So the woman was left with two sons and her husband dead. So she now has nobody in her life, no men. So here we sit as Naomi, remember what she had to go through, losing her husband and two husbands, I mean her two kids. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law. So she had her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab, where she shouldn't have been in the first place. For she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Wherefore, she went forth out of the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to return unto the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, go return each of you to your own mother's house, and the Lord deal kindly with you, hoping that you will be having refuge there better than you have here, as ye have dealt with the dead and with me, meaning everything has been a dead in here. The Lord grants you that you may 
find rest, that you can actually have peace where you came from with your own mothers, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voice and wept and they said unto her, surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, turn again. She persisted. She was, she was very adamant about making them leave. Get away, turn away, go back, my daughters. Why will we go? Why would you go with me? And there are yet and, and there are yet any more sons in my womb, saying there will be no, there are not, there's nothing in my womb. There's no more children coming out of this womb. I've lost my husband. You need to go find a man. Leave me. Go back where you came from. And there will be a family. Remember, they always went to the family of the husband and the brother or, you know, someone within the residence there would take them in as, an, as, as, a, as a responsibility that they may be your husbands as a question. Turn again, my daughters, go away. She says it again, for I am too old to have any husband. If I should say I have hope, there's that word hope we were just talking about, hope if I should have an, have an husband also tonight and should also bear sons, meaning do you think I'm going to find a husband tonight? Do you think I'm going to bear children tonight? Or are you going to wait another 30, 40 years if I find a husband? When I find a husband, then wait 30 more years, 40 years for them to come of age for you to even be able to look at them as somebody that you would have as a husband. Would ye tarry for them till they're grown? As it says in 13, I think I broke that down beforehand. Sorry, God. Yet would ye stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it is grieveth. It grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me, saying, this is not the time or space, and God is against me. And so you don't want to be in a space where there's no man, there's no home, there's no refuge, and God the Lord, our Lord, is against me. On top of that, he's cursed me. And they lifted up their voice and wept again, and they cried together. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. Meaning Orpah was like, deuces, I'm out. <laughs> okay, I get the message. You done told me four times I need to leave. I get it. I'll go, I'll go away. Ruth was like, no, I'm not having it. I'm staying. And she said, behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Gods is the operative word in verse 15, meaning, meaning right? We're talking about idolatry, idolatry, several gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people and thy God, my God. Meaning my, your God of Israel will be my God. I will go away from my own beliefs. Don't push me away again. I'm not going anywhere. Wherever you go, wherever you sleep, wherever you be, that is where I will be. Where thy diest, will I die. Where you die, I shall rest on top of the tomb or in it with you, is what she's saying. And there will be, there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if I out be death, part thee and me. Meaning, I'll say that again because it's a tongue twister as this has been. Oh. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me where you will be buried, so he will do with me. And more also, if out, if out but death part thee, meaning if death comes upon you, so shall it come upon me. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. So the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. 
And it came to pass when they were when they came to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them, meaning they were shaken that, that she came back. Remember, it was the village. So everybody in the village, like the community, like the block that you live on, everybody knows everybody. <sighs> Is this Naomi, they said. And she said unto them, call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi? Seeing the Lord hath testified against me and that the Almighty hath afflicted me. So Naomi returned and Ruth, the Moabites, her daughter-in-law, with her, which returned out of the country of Moab. Meaning she came back with Ruth, who was a Moabite who came from the country of Moab. I think everybody got that. And they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the barley harvest. So they revisit, you know, I, I'd say if you're looking at a, a series, the entire episode of one. That's what's going on. Now check this out. You guys know how to break this down. Let's get into it almost tempted to do four but we've done so much on miracles this morning i'm not doing i'm not doing it i'm gonna sit here and read this while everybody else gets hungry looking at pearl and eat her food so what we're gonna do here is <laughs> go eat girl no get your grub on nobody's scared of you ain't nobody mad <laughs> so, <laughs> so naomi's instruction to ruth in one and two a is security for ruth through a kingsman See, then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now Boaz, whose young women you were with, he, is he not our relative? Then Naomi, Naomi the mother-in-law, said, See, the time of the harvest was over, and certainly Ruth and Boaz had been around each other much in the weeks covering the barley and the wheat harvest. If you go into Ruth 2.23, they had much opportunity to get to know each other. However, however, According to the customs of the day, we can't say that Ruth and Boaz were dating in the way we think of dating in our modern culture. They were not paired off as a couple with one-on-one one -on -one time with each other. Rather, they spent their time together in the context of a group. The men and women who worked for Boaz in the harvest. See, from God's perspective, there is much in the dating game that works against forming healthy, lasting relationships. For many people, dating means the continual making and breaking of casual romantic relationships. Patterns that teach us more of how to end relationships than how to make them last. Is anybody here with me today? Are y'all following me on this? Because it's a really deep conversation. Because we're really about learning, and that's what I really fell in love with, Alicia and Tyler, and many of my others that I deal with, is understanding it's really about that pure, based on God's promise and the covenant of a friendship before a relationship of how to make things last. And, and that's what everybody used to have. What I hear in Francisco and him and his wife, what I see in so many others, how to make things last. When you hear Christina talking about her and her husband, yes, you're all going to have challenges. You're going to have growing pains. It comes with any relationship, whether you're married or not. But fighting to figure out how to make it last versus fighting to make it, seeing how, how long it will take before it breaks is a different conversation. You know, okay, I'm going to try it one more time. I'm going to try and make this work. I'm going to tell you when people say, I'm going to try to make it work, it already is broken. 
when I hear, even in friendships, when I hear in partnerships, okay, I'm, 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 re I'm really working to make this happen. I, I'm, I'm fighting to make, I already know it's not going to last because it's the mindset of one that doesn't allow the two to be one. All I got to do is hear one voice in understanding. And that's why it's paramount, paramount that in any and all relationships, you start and make sure that even if you have romance in the beginning, in the first date, second date, that you fight for the friendship to happen in a, in a symmetrical pattern, that it has to happen simultaneously or it's guaranteed not to last. I can guarantee you that. You know, what I see in how Janika and Vaughn and how they work together with the kids and, and you know, the girls, I just, I, I get a high off of it. People are like, why aren't you married? Because I don't want to get divorced. When I get married, you can better believe it will only be one time. I don't care if I'm 60, 70. Trust me, I'm going to look like I'm 17. I'm already looking like I'm 28. So by the time I hit 60, 70, you can better believe I'm going to be 17 and be more fertile. So don't worry about it. I'm going to have, I'm, I'm taking God to the limit here. I'm, I'm standing on his promise. I'm going to have a tribe. You'd be like, that boy had like 20 kids at 70 years old. You better ask somebody. Anyway, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to give you real God. I'm just, just having a good time here. Stick with me here. Additionally, dating can be a rel relatively superficial way to get to know somebody. Each person in a dating relationship tends to put on a mask and a mask for the other person. For example, many women have been deceived into thinking a man is a good, nice man because he is nice to them in the dating relationship. Of course, he isn't often as nice when it comes past that. He's nice because he wants something in that dating relationship. A better gauge to measure the man or the woman is to see how they act towards others in a group setting. Listen to me, I hope y'all paying attention. See, when they act in a group setting, you'll get the truth out of them because they can't just focus in on you and say, I want that putain, or I want that love, or I want your credit, or I want your, your, your refuge. They, or, or I see that you've actually built this man's life you built another dynasty or you have an asset as far as social media. Whatever that man wants from you, you can, you, will, you can be deceived in the courting game, in the dating game. But if you see him in a group setting, you can actually observe because he can't focus just on you. He's trying to get attention in his, in his own way in a group so he can't divide who he actually is into five different Is You might get in this conversation. It's a powerful conversation. So when you get a chance to be able to observe from that perspective, listen to me, listen, listen to me. Over the period of the harvest, Ruth and Boaz got to know each other real well by seeing what kind of people they were and how they were around larger groups. And they got a chance to see their work ethic. And they got a chance to see their integrity. They got a chance to see what they would complete. They got a chance to see them work late hours, get up early, focus in on their task, focus in on what, was, what they were building. Remember, Jesus was the carpenter, so he built. So what were they building in the likeness of God and in, in Christ himself versus just being interested or wanting time or wanting quality time. Let's go to do this. Let's do that. Is everybody following me on that so far? See, shall I not seek security for you? Naomi knew that Ruth could be best taken care of if she was married. So she suggested that she appeal to Boaz for marriage. Remember, the man has to choose the woman. The woman doesn't choose the man. So this came from Naomi suggesting position yourself. When I talk about a collision of success, position yourself. You can position yourself to be a woman for a man, but the man still has to choose you. It's how you position yourself in that you give yourself the best, the best chance of being able to make it happen. If it's to happen, let it be God's way of identifying. Is anybody following me? Y'all with me on this? Tammy, you there? 
I know, Francisco, you get it. Perla looked like she cross-eyed. Don't worry about that. So in that, what we're looking at here is now Boaz is, he is not our relative. Not one might easily think that this was inappropriate forward of Naomi to suggest this to Ruth. One might think that this is not in, in her right place. It is possible to think that Naomi plotted with Ruth to make her uh, a man trap or to go out and hunt down a reluctant Boaz for marriage. Not at all. Naomi's suggestion to Ruth was rooted in a particular custom in ancient Israel. The meaning behind the Hebrew word goel, just so that everybody's clear. This all, I'm not saying anything out of my opinion, just so everybody's clear. This is all research and my history of doing the, the, the background. See, this was the point in Naomi's question about Boaz. Is he not our relative? She reminded Ruth that Boaz was their family goel. You guys remember I talked about Goel yesterday, the chieftain of the village, the head of the family, the head of everything that is in place is what's going on right here. See, the Goel sometimes translated means kinsman, redeemer. Had a he, it had a specifically defined role in Israel as the family life, as the head of the entire family, the entire tribe. The kinsman, redeemer, was responsible to buy a fellow Israelite out of slavery. They were responsible for buying, listen to what I'm saying, was responsible for buying a fellow Israelite out of slavery. By the way, that's in Leviticus 25, 48. He was responsible. So you know what the goel is. I mean, that's a powerful word. I might even change my group to goel. I just like the way it sounds. It's a, he was responsible to be the avenger of blood to make sure that the murder of the family member answered to the crime. Numbers 35, 19. See, the goel was the boss. If you, if you go into any, any mafia, or if you go into any chief, any country, the, the, the president, that's the Goel, right? So the Goel was responsible to, to everything that happened. He was responsible to buy back family land that had been forfeited. He was, that's in Leviticus 25 as well. He was responsible to carry on the family name by marrying a childless widow in Deuteronomy 25. And this we see that the Goel, the Kingsman Redeemer, was responsible to safeguard the persons, the property, the posterity of the family. Words from the, the root, go, uh, GL, G hyphen, hyphen, uh, hyphen L, Joel, Goel, are used with a variety of meanings in the Old Testament, but the fundamental idea is that fulfilling one's obligation as a kinsman meant that as the man, you're choosing, you're in the power of choice, of identifying what's going to be best for the family, for the village, for the entire tribe. He is not our relative. Since Boaz was a recognized Goel, for he is, he is not our relative. Since Boaz was a recognized Goel for the family of the Elmalek, the deceased husband of Naomi and the father-in-law of Ruth, Ruth could appeal to him to safeguard the posterity of Elmelech's family and take her in marriage. It may seem forward to us, but it was regarded as proper in that day, and that was the protocol. It's a really powerful thing. See, if Boaz did not fulfill his duty towards Elmelech, though he was not, though now he was deceased, then the direct family and name of Elmelech would perish and be completely smeared, perpetuating the family name of Elmelech. And every man in Israel was thought to be an important duty. These protections showed how important it was to God to preserve the institution of the family in Israel, and that it is also important to him today. At 
any and every cost, one should always protect the family. And that's why I had the conversation I was talking to Tammy. Don't ever feel that that's a lack, that pride, pride will kill a family line and block the blessings that are there. Hence my river of reciprocity. Two, two being five, Naomi instructs Ruth as how to petition Boaz to exercise his responsibilities as her goel. See, when you look at that, in fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshold, threshing floor, meaning Naomi is like telling, you know, Ruth, hey, this is where he is. <laughs> this is the party he's going to be at tonight. You need to go over there. And the party was working. So you need to be dressed up and bring your best game, your A game. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself and put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies and you shall go in, uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what you should do. And she said to her, all that you say to me, I will do. See, when you read this two and three times, you guys remember I've read this the last two days. You get a whole different perspective when you slow it down. Are y'all with me on that? You get in slow motion. It's like I have to rewind it because the first two times I didn't get all that. Uh, did anybody else get all that? I didn't get all that. I had to, this, that's deep right there, right? Hold it. I mean, it's like, whoa, you just positioned yourself. Naomi, in her advice to Ruth, showed a keen knowledge of male behavior. Watch out for those, boy. Right, Francisco? Hey. Um, and showed a keen knowledge of male behavior. She instructed Ruth to make herself pretty and smelling good, anoint yourself, put on your best garment, and to leave Boaz alone while he ate. Boy, if every woman would learn that lesson. Jesus, somebody come and have a car. Erica, are you in here? I know she just came in here. Somebody need to go tell my girl, golly. Tell everybody, I need to call my mama, my sister, and everybody in my life, shut up, I'm eating. Oh, God. Mama make the best meal and then want to talk to you while you eat. Can I enjoy my meal, mama? <laughs> Jesus. But uncover his feet and lie down. At the appropriate time, Naomi instructs Ruth to go in, uncover his feet and lie down. Some might think this was a provocative gesture, as if Ruth was told to provocatively offer herself sexually to Boaz. This was not how this gesture was understood in that day. In the culture of that day, this was understood as an act of total submission. Hey, there's another lesson women need. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is just me and Jesus talking. Stick with me here. I'm just reading the word right here. Okay. <laughs> Alicia's just shaking her head. She want to yell at work. She's like, no, I got something to say. <laughs> Total submission. Oh, hell. Oh, no, I'm kidding. So in that day, this was understood to be the role of a servant to lay at their master's feet and be ready for any command of the master. So when Naomi told Ruth to lie down at Boaz's feet, she told her to come to him in a totally humble, submissive way. Now, don't lose sight of the larger picture. Ruth came to claim a right. Boaz was her goel, not her goal, her goel, her kinsman, her redeemer. And she had the right to expect him to marry her and raise up a family to perpetuate the name of Elmalek. But Naomi wisely counseled, why? See, you gotta have, that's right there. And, and that's not just for women, that's for everybody. Everybody needs wise counsel when it comes to these relationships. Are y'all with me on that so far? The reason why we mess up so bad in so many divorces is because we don't get wise counsel. And girl going like, so what should I do? You should leave him. 
somebody who ain't kept a man in 20 years, you know, ask them how, anyway. So, and men do it too, it's crazy as all heaven. But Naomi wisely counseled Ruth to not come as a big, listen to this, listen to this, this is powerful ladies and men. Men, I see even, because you know you got more men with women in them these days, I'm not gonna curse, but y'all know what I'm saying, right? Because I got a shortage for that. I really got a short temper for that. But Naomi wisely counseled Ruth to not come as a victim demanding her rights, but as a humble servant, trusting in the goodness of her kinsman redeemer, she said to Boaz, I respect you, I trust you, and I put my fate in your hands. He will tell you what you should do. Of course, this was a situation that had the potential for disaster if Boaz should mistreat Ruth in some way. But Naomi and Ruth had the chance to get to know Boaz and they knew what kind of man he was. And that's the thing. You got to know the character of a man, not that he's perfect, but his true root as a man, a great man, a godly man, one to whom Ruth could confidently submit. See, in the marriage relationship, many husbands wish they had a wife who submitted to them that way. When I tell you I've had a thousand conversations in the black race about why black men go to other races, it's specifically because of this conversation right here. Consistently. Oh, you just want somebody who's gonna submit. Yeah, it's biblical, get your butt. <laughs> okay, stick with me, stick with me, stick with me. In the marriage relationship, okay, I'm having fun today. You see what happens when you get some rest? Oh my God. But they do provide the kind of godly leadership care and concern that Boaz showed towards Ruth and others. See, in the marriage relationship, many wives wish they had a husband who loved, cared, and treated them the way Boaz did towards Ruth. But do they show the same kind of humility, humble submission, and respect that Ruth showed Boaz? That's a very powerful lesson on both sides of the fence. All that you say to me, I will do. When was the last time a woman said that to you? I mean, come on, really? Come on, that doesn't even happen these days. Oh, I got rules. I got things, I, things I, <laughs> this 21st century woman, boy. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I pray to be able to hear a woman say, all that you say to me, I will do. Before, like this is on the onset. This isn't after courting, dating, and after, you know, two, three months or six years, or this is on the very beginning. In the first, which if you would call it a date, the first date she says that. After going through hell, not like she was like a virgin. Are y'all following me in this so far? After she's already been through hell. You know the excuse of more women. Well, you don't know what I've been through, so I just don't trust easy. I don't this, I don't that. And I just, well, I know, I'm just saying, I'm just reading the word here because it works on, I'm not just talking from a female perspective. Um, I truly want you guys to get that I'm talking to the men as well as to how she had to be in a position to trust him, to treat her appropriately, to bring her up as a queen, to, to, to take the tilted crown and move it a little bit to the left. See, on the whole, we must say, had not Boaz been a person of extraordinary piety, of extraordinary prudence, of extraordinary continence, this experiment might have been fatal to Ruth. We cannot easily account for the transaction Probably Naomi knew more than she revealed in her daughter-in-law. The experiment, however, was dangerous and should in no sense be imitated. Let none be encouraged hereby to enter the God's ordinance through the devil's portal, lest they smart and smoke for it.
Now, listen to this translation and understanding this. As we look at verse six and seven, Ruth lays down at Boaz's feet. See, there was a good reason why Boaz slept at the threshing floor. There were the days of the judges when there was much political and social instability in Israel. It wasn't unusual for gangs of thieves to come and steal all the hard-earned grain of a farmer that he had grown. Boaz slept at the threshing floor to guard his crops against the kind of attacks described in 1 Samuel 23 and 1. She came softly. Ruth did, did just as her mother-in-law Naomi had recommended. She heard the advice. She said she would do it and she did it. See, in 8-9, Ruth's request, now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself, and there a woman was lying at his feet, and he said, who are you? So she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. It happened at midnight that the man was startled. This was an amazing scene. See, this is almost like a love, I mean, a complete romance. This, might, this actual book, actual rival's notebook on a bad day, if not 10 times better, because it's real. See, we can well imagine that Boaz was indeed startled, waking up in the night as he turned in his sleep, knowing that someone was out there, but not being able to see clearly because of the darkness and the sleep in his eyes. Since Boaz had been there to protect against thieves, it must have given him quite a shock to wake up and know someone was there. But his shock quickly turned to wondering when he found out the visitor was a woman. Now, take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. Ruth identified herself and made a simple request. And beginning with the words, take your maidservant. Ruth again showed great humility and submission. She presented herself as Boaz's servant under your wing. Here she boldly asked Boaz to take her in marriage. The phrase, can you, and you can also translate this as, spread the corner of your garment over me, please. This was a cultural relevance in a way to say, I am a widow, take me as your wife. This is what was being translated. Are y'all with me on that? Nod your head if you understand what I'm saying, okay? Even to the present day, when a Jew marries a woman, he throws the skirt or end of his talib over her to signify that he has taken her under his protection. This happened when I went to Leon's wedding and so many other people that are on my team in New York. This is very powerful when you understand how this actual, uh, this, this process takes place. See, in Ezekiel 16, 8, God uses the same terminology in relation to Israel. I spread my wing over you and covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you and became and it became mine. You became mine, says the Lord our God. For you are a close relative. This shows, listen to me, this shows that this was not an inappropriate thing for Ruth to do towards Boaz. It was bold, but not inappropriate. Ruth understood this as she identified Boaz as a close relative. Literally, you are a goel, a kingsman redeemer. Though deceased, Elmelech had the right to have his family's name carried on as a goel. Boaz had the responsibility to do this for Elmelech. Hold on one second, you guys. Pause. Somebody's banging on my door. This is going to be a problem.
all right, forgive me, family. I was like, this FedEx guy, it's like one of those things, where was that? I want to share, I want to finish this because we're almost there. What was that? Is um, you ever play, you ever have somebody, here, let me see, make sure you guys see. You guys ever remember when you were a child and you played Ding, uh, um, um, ding Dong Ditch? Y'all remember that? Uh, maybe, maybe you had to grow up in the hood, whatever. Okay, so, <laughs> okay, but this is this happened yesterday. Somebody came in and was like, I was like, what the hell? Who's that? Because nobody, everybody knows, Miss Yancey, anybody, my son, everybody knows how I am about my, my cave. It's like, what, the, what do you want? You know, you, you don't come here unannounced. That's happened maybe once, and I don't think they even live anymore. So um, it's like, do not come into my space unannounced. It's, it, that'll be the last time I ever talk to somebody. I'm so serious about that. I don't like surprises unless, it's a, unless you know that you know that you know me and that it's something I'm going to love. Don't say you will be surprised. And so I sat there, and it's like this person came and knocked on the door, and they left yesterday. And I mean, literally, in less than two seconds, just like right now, I went out and I was like, this is a bad joke. And because you guys know I have knocking on my cell phone as a notification, I was like, wow, that was really loud to come from my phone. So it happened just then. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be a problem. I'm like, I'm in a good space talking to God, and I'm about to go to hell. So I go out, and the guy is like all the way down, the, down, down my complex and gone. It's the FedEx man. And it's like, it's almost like, it's like they do their responsibility, like, and then just jet off. Like, I'm like, what the hell? It's like, they just want to be able to say, we came and tried to deliver the package. No, you didn't. I was like, I, you are like, this guy was like a half a mile gone. It's like, he came and knocked on the door and just left. He didn't want to deliver the package. It's like, dude, I saw you do this yesterday. I was chasing you down. So anyway, that's what was going on. Let me finish this for you guys. Okay, stick with me here. So anyway, um, Anyway, we're actually, where's my notes here? In Ezekiel 16:8, God uses the same terminology in relation to Israel. I spread my wings, touch, touched on that, for you are a close relative. Um, let's go to 10:11. Boaz response. I'm going to race through this because I can spend all day on this. This is actually one of my favorite chapters because it actually breaks down the entire process and courting process of relationships and how a man or woman should be operating in the relationship. And that is deep, whether you're married or not. Like, would everybody agree with that? Are y'all with me on that so far? It's really a deep one. I could actually go back over and break this down uh, even more tomorrow, but just out of respect for time. Blessed are you, the Lord, my daughter. If we're in 10 and 11, we're talking about apparently there was a considerable age difference between Ruth and Boaz. And that's something I didn't talk about. It also seems that because of this, Boaz considered himself unattractive to Ruth and had therefore ruled out any idea of a romance between them. See, this shows something else wonderful about Boaz. He had the right to force himself upon Ruth as her goel, but he did not. He wasn't going to just say, there's a woman I want and I have her by my right. He was kind enough to not act as a goel towards Ruth unless she desired it. So in that, let me go back and just repeat 1011. Then he said, blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning. Remember, she went through hell. In that, you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request, for all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. That's a powerful conversation. Boy, they, need to, they just need to write a movie called Ruth. 
because <laughs> this is this is off the chain. It really is. So it also shows something else wonderful about Ruth. See, not only does it show everything wonderful about Boaz, but it shows everything wonderful about Ruth. She based her attraction to Boaz more on a respect than on image or appearance. Tragically, many people fall in love with an image or an appearance rather than with a person we can really respect. I will do for all, I will do for you all that you request. Boaz made Naomi look brilliant in her advice to Ruth. The plan worked perfectly. All the people in my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Boaz was also attracted to Ruth because of her character. We don't really know Ruth, how, how Ruth looked, but we do know that she was a woman of godly character. Remember, she left her own idolization, her own idolatry to follow Naomi back to the God and our father of Israel. Literally, Boaz called Ruth a hajil. It's H-A-H, and if you look at it in Yiddish, hajil, woman. The basic meaning behind this Hebrew word is strength, moral strength, good quality, integrity, virtue. The same word is used in a term for heroes, he, uh, heroes, Heroes, my words, are, you know what I'm saying, a hero. A hero in the, uh, hero. am I saying that right? Hero, right? Hero. You're my hero. Hero, golly, I, I've been talking so much. For heroes in the Bible, a mighty man of valor, just a just, just when you understand courage and strength, then make a man a hero. Ruth's courage and strength, shown in her virtue, make her a hero. Um, Proverbs 30, if you look at Proverbs 31, kind of definition of a woman of virtue kind of definition kind of definition of a woman of virtue you guys remember proverbs 31 when we went over that it went over that specifically a potential problem if you look at 12 through 13 a potential problem a near kinsman see there is a relative closer than i now listen to this in fact that's why i said it's such this is a movie it's a movie stick with me here it's off the chain so what we're looking at is now it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a, a relative closer than I. Stay this night, and in the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a closer relative for you, good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you. As the Lord lives, lie down until morning. There is a relative closer than I. See, I missed even all that part. All I, I, did anybody else with me on that so far? Breaking down, there's a place. So I had to go back, and here it says, see, apparently what happened is Boaz was recognized as the Goel towards Ruth. But there was another Goel closer in relationship to her, deceased father-in-law of Elmelech. So Boaz could not exercise his right as a kinsman redeemer unless the closer kinsman redeemer relinquished his rights towards Ruth. Now, wonderfully, Boaz wasn't willing to cut corners. He would do God's will, God's way. He knew that it was really of the Lord, that it could be done orderly and in a proper way. If this is really God's will, it will happen the way it's supposed to happen in alignment with God. As you go into 14 and 15, Ruth goes home. Boaz sends Ruth home. See, so she lay at his feet until morning and she rose before one could recognize. Are y'all with me on that so far? So hold on one second. Stick with me here. So if you look at it and you look at 14 through 15, do not let it be known 
Boaz and Ruth were not trying to hide anything scandalous. It was just Boaz didn't want the, his near kinsmen to learn that Ruth was now demanding her right to marriage to a Goel before Boaz could let tell him personally. He wanted to do it in a respectful manner. He measured six epaphs of barley. As a proper gentleman, Boaz did not send Ruth home empty-handed. Not having any chocolates, he gave her six handfuls of grain. The, the added word, epaph, is almost certainly incorrect. That would be more than 33 gallons. Remember, we talked about that yesterday. 120 liters of grain. More than Ruth could carry home in her shawl. Jewish traditions say that six measures of barley grain given as a gift to Ruth were a sign of six pious men who could descend from her, endowed with six spiritual gifts. David, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and the Messiah. She had six. This is crazy conversation here. Ruth tells her mother-in-law, Naomi, what happened. So she came to her mother-in-law and she said, is that you, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her. And she said, these six epaphs of barley he gave me. For he said to me, do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Then she said, still, uh, sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out. For the man will not rest until he concluded the matter of this day. Sit still, my daughter. This was a time of considerable anxiety for Ruth. She had claimed her right to marriage and would be married. The only question was, to whom would she be married? Would it be Boaz or to the near Goel? The issue would be decided that very day. Amen. And that, Jesus, was chapter three. And I approve this message. So before I get to the dessert and we wrap up today, 